are CBC. CBC. Listen, here, here it is. I'm fairly certain that you would agree with me when I say that most all diseases are dangerous. Some diseases could, in fact, even be deadly. Yes, one of the dangers of disease is that it could potentially take you out. In fact, it poses so much of a threat that there's an entire government agency dedicated to preventing and or controlling the spread of and risk associated with disease. It's called the Centers for Disease Control, or CDC. Uh, that's not where we're going. That's just starting. That's not what I'm going to talk about. But that, amen, that, that, that's one version of the CDC. <laughs> All right. They also, this, 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 this agency uh, has other responsibilities other than just preventing diseases. They also have the responsibility of compiling statistics associated with disease. CDC reports that every year, just in the U.S. alone, there are 1.5 million new cases of cancer diagnosed. In fact, they report that one in five adults in the United States will at some point be diagnosed with some form of cancer. There are over 600,000 deaths annually just in the U.S. from cancer. 650,000 will lose their lives to heart disease. 150,000 in the U.S. alone will lose their lives to chronic respiratory diseases. 140,000 just in the U.S. alone will succumb to stroke. 110,000 will lose their lives to Alzheimer's disease just in this country. 80,000 to diabetes annually every year in this country. 60,000 to influenza and pneumonia will die in this country alone. Uh, as concerning as these statistics are, and they are concerning, I didn't even mention this epidemic we have going around that I've considered to be a disease. We already talked about what's happening all around us. There are many people that are innocently losing their lives. As concerning as these statistics are, I submit to you that they, there's a disease that's not tracked by the CDC, that's destroying people at a higher rate than even the greatest of all those that I mentioned. It often goes undetected and unreported. It won't show up in the statistical data because it's deadlier, uh, but it's deadlier though than cancer. Won't show up in the, in the stats. Uh, people everywhere, even right here in our community and even, yeah, in our church, are falling victim to and being taken out by the absence of hope. The absence of hope. It goes undetected because it often manifests itself and masks itself as one of the aforementioned diseases. So then, the loss of hope, uh, the absence of hope, uh, will disguise itself as illness. Stress can result from that, uh, and, and, and which brings on a lot of these other health problems. To have hope is essential. The reason why we named this campus the Hope Campus, because it's essential. To have hope, though, is to look forward to something beneficial, 
with confidence and expectation of its fulfillment. Hope is fundamental and foundational to a victorious life. It's important to have hope. Uh, in fact, noted motivational speaker Les Brown says this about hope. He says, hope for the future gives you power in the present. Hope for the future gives you power in the It's been said that there are three parts to fulfillment in life. Number one, something to do. Number two, someone to love. Number three, something to look forward to. To have happiness, and I know happiness, happiness is not all uh, important, joy is more, but even to have complete joy. To have complete joy, these three things oftentimes must be present. Something to do, someone to love, we call him Jesus. Something to look forward to, we call it eternal life. Just in case you thought I was getting off track and leaving uh, uh, what we hold near and dear out of the equation. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about what Jesus has promised. Something to do. Right? Someone to love and something to look forward to. The absence of these can and likely will to some degree result in the absence of hope. The absence of hope is indeed deadly, but it has a companion. It has a running mate that takes out just as many, if not more, as the, as the absence of hope. This is misplaced or misguided hope. It can take, it's a disease. It can take you out. We have allowed pop culture and a postmodern society to errantly dictate to us where our hope lies. We fought, we, I say we because I'm talking about church folks as well. Believers, we, we fall victim to this. We, we fall victim to searching for hope in reality TV. We look for answers and hope in uh, the bachelorette or the bachelor. And we think because they found what they thought they were looking for, then we have hope. And so we've allowed these things to distract us. Uh, relationships, which goes right along with that. We think errantly that we can find hope in relationships. So then what happens is we settle for anything. We tolerate any kind of relationship because we perceive that it's our only hope. We find ourselves settling for any and everybody because we feel like if we don't have somebody that we have no hope. Not only reality TV relationship, we also look for errantly hope in riches. We think riches will solve our problems. We think if, so, so, so I, know, I know none of y'all say this, but there are some folks, I know, I know the folks in church don't say this, but I, I'm talking about people outside church say, if I could just hit the lottery. I, I know y'all don't. I know y'all don't. I know you. None of y'all have scratch-offs in the car. None of y'all are the people that I stand behind at Walmart at the gas station trying to get $20 worth of gas, and you standing there talking about, give me a number, uh, I need a number five. And, 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 no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I need, uh, if I could just hit the lottery. That's my church folks, I know. 
The reality is, is that it is and that we look for, not me because I don't play the lottery. I'm, I mean, I'm just going to have to miss out. I mean, when it gets to, oh, I better, I better not say that. Errantly, we find ourselves looking for hope in all of the wrong places. We've allowed a society to dictate to us where we should find a hope. Proverbs, uh, uh, Proverbs, Psalms 20 and 7 says, it's not good to put trust or hope in horses and chariots. In other words, we shouldn't place our hope, our trust in material things, material possessions. We can't find hope in our political affiliation. Y'all know I don't usually get too political around here. I have to walk real softly, Ashley, when I, and so I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at this. Let me just say this. You will not, whoever you are, whoever you support, whatever side you're on, let me just settle the matter right now. You will not find hope in your political affiliation. You cannot equate, no matter what side you're on, I'm walking as softly as I can, you can't equate hope and Christianity with your political affiliations because all sides fail miserably. Sorry to tell you, that's about as political as y'all gonna get me to be. <laughs> hope, we, 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 have, we have this issue of looking for it in the wrong place. True hope, let me just say it this way, true hope can only come from one source. His name is Jesus. True, genuine hope can only come from one source. It's what Paul had in mind in Colossians 1:27 when he wrote that the mystery, the mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It, 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 it's what Paul and how Paul articulates in Romans 15, 13, when he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not the lottery, not the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party, not the independents, not any of those things, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is where our hope comes from. There is no true hope apart from Christ. For the believer, hope has been promised and secured. But that still doesn't preclude the believer from being susceptible to the diseases of feeling hopeless and having misplaced hope at times. Even the believer, somebody here, I know you don't want nobody to hear you, but somebody here could say amen right there because you felt at some point along the way you've had feelings of hopelessness. And along the way, even though we're born again believers, at some point along the way, we have allowed ourselves to place our hope in the wrong things. Unfortunately, this is not only a threat for the unsaved. It hits the saved folks as well, so we have to be very careful. How does the believer withstand the potential threat of these deadly diseases? How do we withstand it? In our text in Psalms 119, the psalmist gives us a solid solution for hopelessness and misplaced hope. 
He gives us CDC. Not the Centers for Disease Control, but not that. Christian Disease Control. Because the Christian needs to be able to control these threat, threatening disease. He gives us another CDC. Christian Disease Control. Psalm 119 is likely one of the anonymous psalms. Not sure who the writer is, although many believe it to be David. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, although technically it's not a chapter, but rather a division or a number. There are 176 verses. It's written in an acrostic. In other words, it's written in an alphabetical arrangement, just like some of the other Psalms are. There are 22 paragraphs with eight verses in each paragraph. Each of the eight verses in the 22 paragraphs begin with the corresponding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It is a comprehensive compendium and treatise on the word of God using prayers and meditations to highlight the priority of God's word. Psalm 119, in, in this psalm, the psalmist uses 10 synonyms to refer to the word of God. He uses the word law 25 times, talking about the word of God. The word word he uses 20 times. The word saying he uses 19 times. Commandment, he uses 21 times. Statutes, he uses 21 times. Judgment, he uses 19 times. Precepts, he uses 21 times. Testimony, he uses 22 times. Way, he uses five times. And path, he uses five times. All of these synonyms refer to the word of God. He acknowledges the significance of the word of God and the fact that his word is his preferred method of communication to us, his children. He communicates to us through his word in passages like Romans 12, 1 and 2, where in the King James Version it says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not Conform to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is a good and perfect and acceptable will of God. He uses passages like Philippians 1.6. Being confident in this very thing that he who hath begun a good work in you will, com will complete it or perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Passages like Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And then, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. He uses, Brother Kimmy, his word to communicate his will to us. Passages like 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man what God has prepared for those that love him, but he has revealed it to us by his spirit. He uses passages to communicate to us like James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, 
that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have its perfect work with you that you might be complete and entire, lacking nothing. He uses his word to communicate to us. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light for the Alex to our pathway. We need his word. So the psalmist helps us. Psalm 119. Uh, psalmist gives us some word-based steps to remaining hopeful. We need hope. And from the word of God, the psalmist tells us how to do it, how to remain hopeful. First step is this. The psalmist says this. First thing that we must do is develop a love and a longing for God's word. Deve and it, it, this, is, this is Christian disease control. Develop a love and a longing for God's word. It's, it's right there in the text in verses 129 through 131. It's there. Uh, in verses 129 through 130, the psalmist expresses his love for the word. Here's what it says. Your testimonies, that's the word of God, are, here's the word, wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. He said, you, you know what he says? He says, he says, God, I love your word. And I love it so much that I am going to deposit it in the very depths of my soul so that when it's there, it will reside in me. So that if it's on the inside of me, so that if it's dwelling and alive and active in me, that I will follow what you have told me to do. That way I can remain hopeful in the midst of a hopeless situation. Verse 30, verse 30 says, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. It speaks to the sufficiency. There's a big theological word that is important when you are studying God and the things of God, the, the, the sufficiency of Scripture. This verse speaks to the fact that God's word is completely sufficient in that the moment it enters into us, we have everything we need to remove darkness and walk in the light. We have all that we need that pertains to life and godliness in his word. We have sufficiency. We don't need anything else to make it. We don't need anything else to survive, not anything else to thrive, anything else to be victorious. The word of God gives us direction. Then in 31, he expresses his longing. And 131 says this, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments or your word. There has to be this, this deep longing for the word of God because that is what will secure our hope for the future. Psalm 42.1 provides a great picture of this because this is what it says, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. Can you picture this? Can you picture a deer that's been on the plane 
all day running from hungry lions, trying to avoid being dinner. And not only that, but in search of dinner himself. All day searching in the heat on the plains, and finally the deer comes to a body of water, thirsty, mouth dry. And can you just imagine uh, the desire, the, the, the willingness, the wantingness to lap up that water? He pants because there's a thirst on the inside for what the water will provide. That, my brothers and sisters, is a picture of how the Christian ought to be as it relates to the word of God. We run on the plains all day long. Because Peter said, our adversary, the devil, hmm, is like a roaring lion. He's chasing us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it's tiring being chased by the enemy. Some of you saying, I don't, I'm not chased. Well, here's the thing. If you're not being chased, you might ought to question. If you're on the right track. Remember I told y'all a few weeks ago that in World War II, the pilots who trained the incoming pilots said, how do we know? The, the young pilots, Brother Alex said, how will we know when we're flying over the right target? And the veteran pilot said to the young pilots, well, you'll realize when you're flying over the right target when they start shooting at you. All I'm trying to say is that when we are on the right track, you'll be shot at. And it's hard, it's tiring, dodging bullets all day, Brother John. And so then, here it is, when we arrive at the body of water called the Word of God, we should pant for it. We should have a strong desire to drink the Word of God. And so the psalmist says, there has to be a longing for the Word if we're going to avoid falling victim to these diseases. But then he also says this, the second step. He says, first step is that, second step is this, call out to the God of the word for help and for hope. You just have to call him. Uh, I know the songwriter in the old church said, Jesus is on, help me, Sister Martha, is on the main line. Just call him up. Some of you new school Christians ain't never heard that song. I grew up in the old school church, and I, I remember when, when, when grandmama used to get up and say, Jesus, put that hand, like Sister Martha, put that hand on that hip. Jesus, I can't sing. I wish I could. I wish I could sing like Alex. I'd hit it for you right now. Jesus is on the main line. So here it is. The psalmist says, you've got to call on the God of the word. He prays in the psalm here that the Lord would, in verse 132, turn to him. He says, turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Look, he says this, he says, essentially, look graciously upon me. Let me have thy smiles and the light of thy countenance. Take cognizance to me and my affairs and be merciful to me. Let me taste the sweetness of thy mercy and receive the gifts of thy mercy. Turn to me. Then in 133, he says, direct my path. Y'all know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will 
direct your path. The psalmist says, God, I'm calling on you to order my steps. Order my steps in the word because if I'm left to my own self, I'll go the wrong way. Order my, bro, Sam, he says, order my steps. Give me direction. Call on the God of the word. Then in 134, he says this, he says, redeem me. Praise that 134, redeem me from man's oppression, that I might keep your precepts. He prays that he might live a quiet and peaceable life and might not be harassed and decomposed by those that had a strong desire to vex him. You do know those folks that would desire to vex you. And the psalmist says, Lord, redeem me from man's oppression. Because it can be tough dealing with it. Then in 135, he says this, bless and teach me. He says this, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Make thy face, he says, to shine upon thy servant. Let me be accepted of thee. I want to be accepted of you and let me know that I am so. Comfort me with the light of thy countenance in every cloudy and dark day. Teach me, oh God. I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom. Teach me, oh God, your statutes to avoid spiritual disease as I hear it to a close, and remain hopeful. One must not only know the God, know the word of God, but one must know the God of the word. Let me say that one more time. In order to avoid these spiritual diseases, one must not only, because a whole lot of people know the word of God, even the enemy himself knows the word of God, but I, I, I submit to you that it's more important that you know not just the word of God, but that you know the God of the word. S.M. Lockridge, in his poetic rendering entitled, That's My King, poses the question, do you know him? And he's a sovereign God, a sevenfold God, king of the Jews, king of Israel, king of the ages, king of glory, king of heaven. King of kings, king of righteousness. And then Lockridge poses, pauses and says, do you know him? He goes on and says, he's enduringly strong, entirely sincere, eternally great, imperially powerful, impartially graceful. Do you know him? A phenomenal God, the centerpiece of civilization, the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the highest personality in philosophy, the loftiest idea in literature. Do you know him? He's the one that the Pharisees couldn't stand. He's the one that death couldn't handle. The grave couldn't hold him. Do you know him? His name is Jesus the Christ. He's the one that Isaiah has in mind in Isaiah chapter 40, beginning somewhere around verse 28, when he says these words, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, 
neither is weary. There is no section of his understanding. He giveth power. I got to pause right there. He giveth power to the faint. And to those who have no might, he increaseth their strength. Even, I thought y'all was going to help me, but you shall faint and be weary. And the young man shall utterly fall. Do you know him? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The only way to secure our hope is that we must know him. We must know the God of the word that the psalmist in Psalm 119 is referring to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Praise you. Help us, Lord God, to avoid these deadly diseases. Help us to remain hopeful. Help us not to put our hope in the wrong things. Lead us, God. Lead us in your word. Order our steps in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to ask. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to ask Warren to come as we prepare for communion. You know, just to continue with this whole theme of hope, um, I really want to take a minute as we mentioned doing this time of communion as a time to reflect. We never want it to become something that we just do, something that becomes routine. Um, there's a lot to think about. I think for some of us, this is a time where we may reflect on the hope we have in Christ and the assurance we have in Christ. I think there may be some of us who use this time to think of relationships that have failed or that we've lost hope in that we may want to take a moment to reflect. So I would just ask as we enter this time that we would continue in a worship and also continue in a reflection of what God's given you hope for. And I'm going to ask the men who are going to pass out the elements to come forward. We do open communion here at Bethel Hope, and what that means is, is you do not need to be a member of this church, but we do ask that you would be part of the body of Christ. This means you put your faith in Christ and uh, trust him for your salvation. If you're unsure about that or if you're uh, maybe even unsure about some of the things that you're hoping in, uh, maybe relationships that are concerned or broken, that you don't feel comfortable, just let the elements pass by. No one judges that. And just use this time to kind of renew and ask Christ to make a difference in your heart and your life. I also want to make one more point that as we pass these out, uh, our church believes that these are the symbols of the body and the blood of Christ. And 
again, as you take them in your hand, hold your cup, hold your wafer as you continue on your way. So let me uh, bless us. Father, we just pray as we take this time with you that we would do this in remembrance of you, that our remembrance would give us great hope because as we reflect back, we also look forward to the next day because we just heard from someone that you give us a hope and something that can never be taken away, that something that never changes. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.